You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Quarantine and Chill, a part of Disability After Dark where I sit down with disability thought leaders about their experiences through the pandemic. And I think... This is an important type of episode because we, the pandemic is seven months on now and we still need to hear from these individuals about their experiences because we're not hearing enough about how disabled people are experiencing the pandemic. So I love doing these episodes, these quarantine and chills, and you'll get another new one today. Today on Quarantine and Chill, I sit down with my friend Leslie Lee Cam. You heard her interview with me um, back in, I think... December of 2019, back up, back about six months ago, we had her on the show on a regular Thursday episode, and I wanted to interview her about her experience being a differently abled person during the pandemic and what that means for her, and Leslie and I talk about a lot here. We talk about her experience of loneliness, her experience of isolation, her experience of wishing she could go out, her experience of the way her body has changed during the pandemic. And during all those things, we talk about things as intimately as constipation during the pandemic for her because she's not moving around as much. We talk about friends she's had in long-term care facilities and old-age homes who have passed away, not necessarily because of COVID, but because of isolation, neglect, broken heart, people that she's known that have passed away, people that we have known that have passed away. We talk about... um. You know, her experiences at the grocery store as a differently able person when somebody, you know, didn't want to wear a mask and how she felt about that. We talk about her helping her younger queer friends through the pandemic. There's a lot we talk about there, but I loved being able to sit down with Leslie and explore her experiences being a queer, differently abled person of color during the pandemic. And that's kind of what the episode is today so i hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening here's a new episode of quarantine and chill right here on disability after dark the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories leslie lee kim hello hi andrew gerza hi oh andrew gerza wow (laughs) <laughs> it feels so weird to be called my full name. Hello. I am so happy to have you back on the show. 
you are, as you know, you're one of my, the people that I admire a lot because you do a lot of great activism work. And I thought since you do a lot of work as a, as a queer senior in and around the same circles that I do, I was like, why don't I have Leslie on the show to talk about her experiences with COVID and quarantine and being a queer senior with who's differently abled and how all that stuff plays a role for you. So welcome back. Hi. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I just want to say a quick land acknowledgement. And I, what I've noticed is since we started Zoo, doing Zoom meetings, land acknowledgements have gone out the window. You know what? That's, a, that's amazing. Go ahead, please. Because people feel that we, we're still meeting on the land. Yeah, that right. has changed. It's just the format of the meeting has changed. So I would like to acknowledge and honor and respect the the lands of the many indigenous peoples on which we live and stand and play. And uh, in this area of Toronto, it's the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, the Huron-Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the New Credit, and all the indigenous peoples who are recorded and unrecorded and also to acknowledge that uh, those of us who have settled on this land, we have a lot of privilege, even as a person of color who is differently abled. I have more privilege than the indigenous peoples who, to whom this land belongs. And it is my responsibility and all of our collective responsibilities to use our power and privilege to restore the rights of the, the lands to the indigenous peoples and the, the many enjoyments which we take for granted and we get from these lands, we have to, we must use our power and privilege to restore those enjoyments and rights to all indigenous people. You know what? In all the four years of me doing this show, that's the first time that anyone said can I do a land acknowledgement before we start so thank you for that because I have not been doing them and maybe now I will before I start a show that's fantastic thank you you're welcome it was it's the first time in me doing this show for four years that anyone's offered that so I really really appreciate that thank you for bringing that forward so how are you well, it's interesting that you asked that question because I was talking to my doctor earlier this morning because everything now is on on the phone or online. And I was saying to my doctor, so should I come in? Because I've been having uh, a huge problem with constipation Yeah, because I'm not moving as much. And my doctor said, oh, I'm in Manitoba. <laughs> oh, well, I guess you're not going in then. I'm not going in. But we had a good uh, conversation on the phone. And she has uh, sent a prescription to my local drugstore, hopefully for me to get a, some kind of um, resolution mm -hmm. to the problem. As somebody who experiences poo stuff, I know the struggles. Mm -hmm. You're either going too much or you're not going at all. I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, and she has said that this is um, this is something that's been coming up because we are not moving as much. 
Yeah, people are... With COVID, we're at home, we're sitting. We're so sedentary. Yeah, and more sedentary than usual because I'm used to going out six days a week. Yeah, you are the one of the busiest people that I know. <laughs> you yeah, never... So never at home. Yeah. So now since March, since uh, actually March the 13th was when it... Uh, started impacting me physically because all of my volunteer work has been taken away. Yeah. So my two days a week where I volunteered at Bridgepoint Active Healthcare, that stopped my work with the 519. Um, all of my own personal workshops and presentations have come to an end. So now I'm trying to find new ways of working with Steph Johnson, you know, Steph. The name rings a bell, but I'm not too, I can't. Well, you'll be hearing more about Steph because Steph is um, a true ally in terms, you know, that I work intergenerationally. Yep. And intersectionally. So Steph is one of my younger queer friends. And she's doing her PhD on improving and saving the lives of queer seniors. Fantastic. That's fantastic. And she and I have been working together to make videos um, and webinars to promote me so I can continue doing my work and uh, working with another friend, Caitlin Thatcher, who has developed a website for me. So that's what I've been working on. Oh, great. Is your website leslieleecam.com? Well, we don't know. It's going to be, um, trying to remember the name of it. It's going to be something at, oh, Out of the Closet. Oh, fantastic. Out of the Closet uh, at leslieleecam.com. But that's, don't, don't quote me. It's not final. Okay. Okay. Before we get too into more cool things you're doing, I want to ask you, could you just give the audience a refresher of who you are, what your disabilities are and how, and how they impact your day to day life? So I identify as a world majority person. And when I say that people say, well, what is a world majority person? So in 1991, the world census determined that the majority of people in the world are people of color. So how many years later, we're now in 2020. So imagine how many more of us there are. (laughs) So I identify as a world majority person and many people have heard the term visible minority. Yep. And that's a term that the federal government came up with in Canada to keep us in our place. So I always say to people of color, please say that you're a world majority person and take up lots of space. So I take up lots of space. I identify as brown, as you can see, and I am Carib. So the Caribs and the Arawaks are the indigenous peoples of the Caribbean. Yep. I'm, I'm from Trinidad. You can tell by my lovely accent. Yep, for sure. And I know that you have a Canadian accent. 
It's true, I do. We've talked about this before. It's true, yes. Yes, we all have accents. You know, some people seem to think that when they're white, they do not have an accent. <laughs> that only people of color have accents. Uh, I am Indo. So Indo is a term that's used for those of us who are descended from indentured laborers who were brought over from India to replace slaves when slavery was abolished in uh, the world, but mostly in the Caribbean. Okay. And uh, you know that my last name is Li Kem, which is Chinese. So I am part Chinese. And in Trinidad, my kind of racial mixture is called a Kalaloo. So a callaloo is one of our national food dishes, and it is a mixture of many ingredients. I like that. <laughs> and I am a differently abled queer dyke elder. So I just want to introduce you to a couple of my mobility devices. Yes. This is Lily. And as you can see, Lily is flashing. Lily is my dancing cane. Lily is a lovely shade of lavender. And I also have with me today, Robin. Robin is one of my <laughs> everyday going out canes. I like it. I like Robin. They're very um, colorful. Yeah. I got Robin at uh, Publix. Um, Publix is a chain of grocery stores in, in Florida, the, right? In Florida, yeah. Yeah. So Robin is named after my brother Robin, who died five years ago, and Lily's named after one of my grandmothers. And I name my mobility devices. I also have a walker, and her name is Eartha, after <laughs> Eartha Kit. I like uh, that. So I name my mobility devices because people tend to see the device and not the person. Yep. As I'm sure you know. Yep. And so it's important for people to know that my mobility device is part of me because I can't operate in the world without my canes and my walker. And what would you say, just to refresh the audience's memory, if they haven't listened to our amazing talk at the end of last year, uh, what would you say, how would you describe your disabilities or your... So I have been challenged by some people uh, about the fact that I say that I'm differently abled versus disabled. And I use the term differently abled because I wasn't born with a disability. And my friend Marion Park uh, says... I acquired a disability. So there are many people, anybody actually, anybody in the world can become differently abled by stepping off a sidewalk, by falling downstairs. It can happen to anybody. So people generally seem to think, well, you were born with a disability and you know that can never happen to me. Well, it can happen to everybody. Yep. Yep. So that's the reason why I say I'm differently abled versus disabled. 
And as we said the last time, I I know you've been challenged on it. I know I've watched people out, outright challenge you on it, like in person, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of silly because it's what you're choosing to describe yourself. You would never give that title to someone else. It's for you what you're using. Well, it's, yeah, it's an individual, the same way people choose to identify as queer or as a dyke or as gay or, you know, gender non-conforming. I don't challenge how people identify. Yeah. And I, there's no disrespect intended. Exactly. And I feel like when people challenge you on that, they're kind of silently telling you that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, don't, if she's, if that's the language she needs for herself to feel good, leave her alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who's she hurting? Who is she hurting? Um, and I really respect that. Like that's not language that I would use, but I respect that it's your language. And also, Andrew, I don't want to take away from other people's experience because some people experience mobility so differently in the world than I do. Yep. And I know that I have a, a certain amount of privilege in terms of my mobility. So that's why also I say I'm differently able because I do have the privilege of having more mobility than some people. Yeah. And I think when you, when you discuss it that way, it's very interesting how many layers of why you picked that language are there and how important that is to remember. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers to why you're doing it that way that I think when you explain it that way, there's no way that any, anybody could say, could say like oh no she can't because you explained it so well well thank you but people you know people are people so yeah what can you do right people are people yeah. it's very true i'm just pulling up yeah the, i'm just pulling up the other questions i want to ask you um now you know living as somebody who's differently abled many of us in the in the disability communities that we live in during during this fun COVID nineteen experience, we're all in together. We've kind of been been hearing that this is the new normal for a lot of people now, but mm-hmm. a lot of people with disabilities or different access needs um, have been kind of feeling this kind of normal for their whole lives and feeling mm-hmm. this experience for a very long time. Do you feel that this feels rather familiar for you? And if so, can you elaborate on that for me? Well, it's interesting that you say that because when I became confined to home, practically against my will, I actually thought of you because I and I got in touch with you to see how you were doing, to see if you needed anything. Because, you know, then it made me realize even more how dependent you become on people. Yeah. And even though I'm still mobile, I wasn't able to go out. Yeah. Because we were forced to stay home and you had to be so careful about going out and, you know, access of going out. I mean, and and things have relaxed now in Toronto. We're, on, we're in stage three. They've relaxed a little bit. But I still think for many of us with different disabilities and different access needs, I think that we really can't risk it it's still for many of us we're still in deep deep lockdown because our health depends on it well that's something else that i never had questioned before 
was my, I know that my immune system is compromised, but it never affected my access to the world yep. until COVID hit. And then when, as uh, I volunteered two days a week at Bridgepoint, and when they stopped all the volunteering, a uh, couple of, uh, I think it was last month, they sent out an email saying we're, we're allowing volunteers to come back gradually starting in January, but it depends on your immune system. And because of a certain drug that I'm taking, my immune system is compromised. So I don't know if I'll be allowed back because they don't want me to be, you know, affected. And they don't by- want you... And, and they don't and want they don't, you to, un, to unintentionally affect somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else if I'm asymptomatic. Yeah, it's, it is a really interesting time. At the time of this recording, I've been tested for COVID now five times. Wow. Um, and So can I ask why you have been tested so many times? Yeah, so the first time was because somebody that I was working with here got COVID. Mm-hmm. One of the attendants contracted COVID. Um, and so we all had to get tested. And then from there, I had my bowel obstruction. I had a, an obstruction that put me in the hospital for a few days. Mm-hmm. So when I got in, they had to test me. And then when I left, they had to test me. And that's mm. three. And then about a, a month after that, I had a UTI, mm-hmm. which presented like a fever and a headache. And so I thought it was COVID. So when I got tested, that's four. And mm. then yesterday, they had it in my building, a test. And I thought, you know, it's free. It's down there. I might as well just, I'm pretty sure I don't have it. But just to be safe, given that I'm vulnerable, I think, you know, anyone who's vulnerable or who identifies as disabled should have access to mobile testing and Mm -hmm. should have access to testing every every two months. Mm. They should have a unit that comes to your home every two months through one of the big hospitals in in the city that comes to every disabled person's home every two months or like Mm -hmm. a block of homes and they do it that way because going to a testing center was really no one was social distancing nobody was wearing a mask and this was at the testing center to get in the testing center wow and i was like that's terrifying what yeah (laughs) what so i i'm very privileged and then i got to access mobile testing and i got to access testing as many times as I had I have and I'm not scared of it anymore like it doesn't <clears throat> I've done it so many times now I'm like oh yeah it's a, whatever it's a test I'm really glad that I that I've been able to do it because I know that at least in terms of COVID I'm okay so far mm-hmm. well that's great um a couple of more so what I've been doing since I can't go out and socialize like I used to is I've been doing something called porch lime. So liming is hanging out. Yeah. That's what we say in Trinidad, liming. So my friends have been coming over here to lime with me on my porch. Oh, that's great. uh, Yeah, some of them have gotten tested before coming over, which has been really wonderful that they would do that for me. But hearing you now that you've been tested so many times, it makes me wonder if I should get tested. If it's an option for you, from one differently able person to another disabled person, I'll tell you that it's 
not scary. It's not scary like they say it is. It's super, mm-hmm. it's super easy. They put a thing with your nose. Feels yeah. uncomfortable for like two minutes, for not even, for like 30 seconds. They count to five and you're done. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. I was surprised at how easy it was to do. Yeah, so maybe I will consider getting it done because I, I could be asymptomatic and, you know, not know. I mean, I, I think just given your, the fact that you are a senior and the fact that you are a person of color, two populations that where it seems, at least from everything that I've read, that the numbers in, in of Corona seem to be hitting those communities the hardest right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or they were in the beginning, not so much anymore. It's weirdly shifted to, like, younger populations. Um but, you know, just to just for peace of mind, too, the fact that I've been tested so much kind of makes me feel good because I'm like, at least I'm taking responsibility for myself and I'm not just pretending like it doesn't exist and I'm not just right. pretending, pretending that it's a cold. I'm making sure that any anytime I feel a twinge, I go check. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because when, you know, we've been having this heat wave. Yeah. Toronto and uh, two weeks ago when the temperature dropped I started sneezing my eyes were runny they were itchy I couldn't breathe and I thought oh no something is wrong and then I realized it's my allergies yeah it's not even yeah and I couldn't go out because I knew that if I'd gone out in public anywhere people would be afraid of me yeah with the sneezing and, you know, the runny nose. The coughing and, and the eye yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's just a really interesting time, and it's a really, mm-hmm. it's just, I, I can understand the fear of not wanting to go out. I'm, I, now that I have a mask that's accessible to me, I have, like, a neck gaiter thing that I put on a bunch. Oh, okay. Like thing, one of those, like, turtleneck things. So I, I have a bunch of those. So I go out more often, and I go see friends a little bit more. We social distance have coffee together not in a big groups but like you know one or two of us mm-hmm. together having coffee and so like we we take precautions and i'm doing more of that now because we're seven months on and mm-hmm. in the first two or three months i was really i didn't go anywhere or do anything and now i'm a little bit like okay i want to see the world because i want to see the yep. world before before winter comes back so i better <laughs> get mm-hmm. outside yeah um can you tell me what the best part of social distancing for you right now is as a differently able person? The best part? Oh, I don't think there's a best part. I mean, I, I really miss having... <laughs> there is, there's no... Well, I mean, it's, it's an excuse if you don't want to get together with people, but... <laughs> There, there really is no best part. I miss hugging my friends. I miss having that physical contact. Uh, a friend of mine is turning 65 um, next month, and she was bemoaning the fact that she couldn't have a, a get-together on a party. So my friend Julie and I had her and her partner over on Saturday in Julie's backyard because Julie has a deck and we surprised my friend with a cake and she just wept because oh, she was, that's so great yeah and it's you know but we couldn't hug we couldn't you know you do the elbow thing or the bum thing yeah but it was just that's what's hard there's nothing good about this for me at all 
not not being able i've been i came to see you and we had to you know be apart but whenever i see you i like to play with your earlobes <laughs> i know you know we couldn't be able to do that in a while that's so our, that's our thing <laughs> you'll get to touch my earlobes again one day i promise you that yeah. uh so on the flip side of that, what is the hardest part of social distancing for you? I guess all the same you just said. All the stuff I just said, yeah, that's that's really been hard. And not being able to just go out without everything I do now has to be planned. Everything, you know, because to go to the grocery, to have to line up, you line I, up to get in, you line up to go through the cashier. I mean, I think it's interesting you say that you sort of plan because for somebody with my level of disability, it already was already, it already had to be planned yes, a bunch. Yes, you, you had to plan. So like that part for me doesn't feel awkward and doesn't feel, uh, didn't feel new at all. But, I'm, but it's interesting for you that like, even though you've had to adapt to disability or to being differently abled rather, adapting to that throughout, throughout your life. And we talked about that last time, mm-hmm. was having to adapt to these kind of swift restrictions even harder, you think? Yes, yeah. See, I, I'm used to the, the planning with wheel trans yeah. when I have to go to medical appointments. But in my other everyday life, I could just pop into the grocery or pop in and see friends. Now I can't do that anymore. You have to call ahead. You have to make sure people even want you to come into their home or you have to sit outside. Um, Yeah, it's, it's really been difficult. For sure. It's, it's been something I think we all have to, to navigate. Do you think being differently abled in the way you are now makes it harder for you now? Are you, do you think that if you didn't have your, differently able identities you could just it would be a little bit easier to deal with this it it would have been i mean i even though i use a cane and a walker going to the grocery wasn't as difficult as it is now yeah and and also what i'm noticing and i don't know how many of your uh poc friends have said this to you but the level of racism oh yeah and ableism that's out there now that's coming out blatantly. Or that was always out there, but it's now blatantly being it's, celebrated. It's like, yeah, it's like COVID has given people permission to behave badly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so <clears throat> most of the stores say that between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., that's a time for disabled people and seniors to come out and shop. Now, which senior and disabled person is getting up at, you know, that hour? Yeah, 5.30 to get ready to go on the bus by 7 a.m. to go to the yeah. store. and if you have to go somewhere and you need wheel trans. Let's break that down for a minute. If you were going to go to the store as a disabled or senior person or both, and you needed, wheel, and you needed like, paratransit, you would have to get up probably. If the, if the grocery time was between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., which is ridiculous, Mm-hmm. But if that was the time they pick, you would have to get up at probably, Five. probably yeah, 4.45 in the morning, mm-hmm. have an attendant be available, which you may not always have the, the, the luxury of having an attendant available right then. So 
you wouldn't have to rearrange a whole bunch of scheduling just for mm-hmm. this one hour. It's much easier to, and I have the privilege of being able to food to 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 Instacart. It's much easier for me to to do that and point and click mm. and order the food that way and then wipe it down when it comes into my home versus having to go to the store for an hour and rearrange my whole day for a one-hour event. Mm-hmm. Who, mm-hmm. Whoever designed these times didn't talk to a disabled person. No, they, uh, they, they didn't talk to seniors or disabled people. They just, but because it's convenient for them to yeah. have us come at the beginning of the day because they don't want us during the busy times. Yeah taking up space in the stores and then yeah. and then then you would think for those of us who are disabled differently abled and older if we want to go say three or four o'clock in the afternoon which is a more convenient time which is a much better time which is like yeah. leslie lee cam time right because you usually start <laughs> things you usually start like doing bigger stuff around two or three in the afternoon because it's easier for you, right? So yeah, two or three yeah. would be a great shopping time. And then you get there and you would think, since you're using a cane or a walker, that people would let you go to the front of the line. But and they don't. They don't. And they should. And they really yeah. should. And so now you I've should be st- given priority access all the time because you're disabled. Yeah. Or sorry, you're disabled rather. I've yeah, I've started traveling with one of those folding stools. Good. So, and here I am, Andrew, with the folding stool sitting in the line and nobody says, oh, and I, I mean, my cane is visible. Nobody says, oh, you can go ahead of me. <laughs> wow. They should. Yeah. yeah. It, should be, and, it should be the first thing they do. And um, my friend Roma and I went to the No Frills at Carlo and Gerard last week. And I had never seen a lineup that long. It went through the whole store. Wow. And she had to call, she had to ask for the manager before she went. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, now, because you don't shop, uh, you know, in person, what happens now in every grocery store, there's somebody, there's one line now, and then they bring you forward to the cash registers as they become free. Yeah. So there's the security person there saying, okay, uh, cash register number four is now available. Please move forward in the line. So the person who is policing the line saw Roma using her cane and did not say come forward to the next available cash register. Roma had to say to her, excuse me, do you see me here using a cane? Yes, you'll have to wait your turn. And Roma said, no, I want to speak to the the manager. And the woman said, why? And she says, because I'm using a cane and you're telling me I have to wait in line? Yeah. And then yeah, the same. So when it was my turn and she saw me using a cane, she says, Oh, come forward. Now, I didn't know that Roma had paved the way for that to happen for me. You it's know? Silly. It's silly. Like, you should be given priority all the time, regardless of what time it is, regardless of. Because... Yeah, they, but they don't have any training, and that's breaking the law under the well. AODA. 
well, the Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Forgive yes. me for saying so, but it's a huge joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's lip service at best. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to ask you, just so people understand the importance of staying home and the importance of social distancing and the importance of that for you, what is something about the virus that scares you as somebody who's differently abled and who's immunocompromised? What scares you about getting the virus? And what do you think would happen to you if you were to get the virus? Well, I saw a documentary uh, back in April about some of the worst cases um, that are in the hospital. And this was the hospital in Newmarket. And I had no idea how bad it could be. And what scared me was that they've had to induce people into comas so they can breathe on the ventilators. And having been in a coma and survived a coma, I don't know if my body would be able to survive something like that again. Yeah. And I, you, most people don't know that that's the worst case scenario. And they interviewed two people who came out of the coma and then the stress on their bodies, their emotional and mental health is is huge because even though physically they have beaten the virus emotionally and mentally you don't beat the virus because of what you have been through when you're in the coma so that's that's what scares me the most and i'm sure you have memories of coming out of your first coma so i'm sure you're not super keen to have to experience that again should COVID befall you. And um, I had a huge support circle to take care of me when I was in the coma and when I came out of it and that wouldn't be possible now. Yeah. I mean, I would have to get home care and the only agency that I would trust would be VHA, Visiting Homemakers Association. Yeah. Because all of the staff and frontline workers have had training in 2S LGBTQI inclusion. Yeah. And anybody who... Yeah. Anyone who's listening who's like, what are all these organizations Leslie saying? It's super Canadian-centric. I'll put some stuff in the show notes just to give me an idea of what we're talking about. In case you're like, what? Who are they? I'll make sure that it's all in there. But no, you're right, Leslie. I think, you know having not being able to have the same support you had the first time would mm-hmm. be an additional stress to you would be really mm-hmm. scary. And I don't know how I'd feel about it to have to go through all that again. Um, mm-hmm. So why do you think like, why do you think it's important for people to adhere to social distancing for to for disabled people so that they don't, so that we can make sure that they don't get the virus. Well, for many of us, our immune systems are already compromised. Yeah. So it's really important for us to social distance and also for people who are around us to to adhere to the precautions. 
because I've been around people like, for example, I went to um, Sobeys, one of our Toronto grocery stores, and they were actually handing out masks the Saturday before the masks became mandatory. Yeah. There was this young white couple in line ahead of us. And this young woman, the staff person at the grocery store, a woman of color, was asking people to please take a mask because pretty soon it's going to be mandatory. And this young white couple refused and said, no, we're not wearing masks. And my friend and I were right behind them. And I said, like, really? This is for, you know, us to keep each other safe. And the, this young white man just postured himself in front of me like he wanted to fight me. Are and you serious? I, yeah. And my friend oh, wow. jumped, in, my, my white friend jumped in front of me. And I said, really, to wear a mask to keep you safe and to keep me safe is such an issue for you? And then he says, who are you to tell me what to do? So I said, I'm not, I'm not here to fight with you. So I'm asking I, you as a human to not yeah, kill me. Thanks. Yeah. So I am being very careful now. When I go out, I make sure I wear my mask. And if I have anybody in the car, I ask them to sanitize. I carry sanitizer with me. Mm-hmm. When I have people come over to visit, when they come into the house, I ask them to put their masks on. I ask them to make sure they wash their hands. But then all of my friends are already super careful themselves and also around me. But it's being out in public with strangers. I so I don't engage with anybody who's not wearing a mask. In in, in in a store. I just stay away from them. Yeah. And I say nothing. Yeah. That's but, I think that's but good as advice. You, yeah. But as you pointed out, I mean, you would know better than me because you are so much more you know, in, in a situation where you're at higher risk because you have people coming in all the time who are out in the world. Yeah. You can't really pick and choose. I can't properly social distance. I have to do my best yeah. to, stay, to stay vigilant. And I mean, I will say that there have been a few weeks where like COVID fatigue is real, where you're just like, oh, I'll be all right. And you're never sure because... Yeah. Because you want to have this sense of normalcy. So I definitely, I feel that. I want to ask, because you're a trainee care person and you're, you are someone who identifies also as a senior, do you think, do you have concerns seeing all this with the identities that you have, that this virus will have an impact on seniors, but also on, on people of color or people who, who identify in both those groups? Well, it's already having an impact. It just sort of made me laugh when um, it took them about almost three months before they, all these, um, the health officials and all the experts realized it's people of color and people with disabilities and the intersections of those oppressions. We are the ones who are being affected the most. Like it took them months to figure that out <laughs> and all of us figured it out in a few, in a yeah. few days we're like yeah for sure because <laughs> we don't have access we don't have the money 
you know we have to be so careful yeah and so for me it's seniors queer seniors who are even at greater risk than other seniors than straight seniors yeah because the the research has shown and this is recent research the queer seniors are at least 40% at higher risk with covid than straight seniors what do they know why because of the impact it's had on our lives of hiding the isolation the loneliness not accessing healthcare so our immune systems are already compromised oh oh many I... of many of us are already on different kinds of medications that most straight seniors are not yeah we are afraid to go to doctors and uh, the situation in long term care homes we've heard about you know 1800 plus seniors who have died in yep. ontario from covid but what we haven't heard is how many of those 1800 seniors were queer seniors that's a great point i i don't know and we need i think and we we won't know because nobody even will acknowledge our presence yeah and so we were already hiding we are we are going back into the closet because we have to decide do we want to be our true selves or, or do we do want we to live or do we want exactly do we want to live yeah that's a so, horrible that's a terrible yeah. choice to have to make that's a ter- so like, all yeah all the underlying health complications mm-hmm. have exacerbated the covid has just made things worse Yeah. And yeah. now what we are finding out so so if I have heard about five people already just multiply that by the population of Canada of the seniors who are still dying not because they have contracted covid but because of the impact in long term care homes. Mm-hmm. So there's been no physiotherapy, no occupational therapy, no speech therapy, no human contact, no volunteers. Uh, it, it makes me so sad. The whole thing, just just to, and I never thought about it like that until you put it so clearly. About it's not the it's not just the virus that's killing the seniors. It's yeah. all the stuff around the virus. Yeah. So seniors have become prisoners in their rooms in mm-hmm. long-term care homes. Those seniors who cannot physically get themselves to the dining room are being confined to their rooms for meals. And they're encouraging more and more seniors to stay in their rooms and not go to the dining room for which meals. Which is isolation, which is Which is further isolation, further yeah. loneliness. I know of five cases where seniors have died as a result of this. There's no human their, touch. Wow, just in the room just because just they're in their, Yeah. And there's there so whereas before that you could get some kind of uh, PSW care, mm-hmm. a personal support worker would come in say twice a day 
and apply lotion to your body or to make sure you don't have bed sores. Or just or check to, on you, just talk to you for a minute. Yeah, even yeah, even to have a conversation or to have that human touch, that's all gone. So seniors are now dying of broken hearts and neglect. <sighs> so, but, but nobody is tracking these the death, death. The, these kind of deaths and the the reasons and nobody's talking them. yeah nobody's talking about them and i have started hearing about them from my friends whose either their parents or their relatives have died as a result wow wow yeah. first of all thank you so much for enlightening us on that because i did wasn't i i would think it was just the virus i didn't realize there were all these no these underlying things that would, I mean, it makes so much sense now, but I never really thought about it that closely until, until you just kind of outlined it for us. So thanks yeah. for letting us know. So, so yeah, I just wanted to add Andrew, our friend, Alf Roberts, you've heard me talk about Alfred Roberts. Mm-hmm. So Alf is uh, an, a man who at the age of 80 came out and said that he was gay he waited until later because he didn't feel safe enough. And the long-term care home that he went into made him feel safe. But Alf died because of the impact oh. of COVID. He died on June the 2nd and because of isolation and loneliness and lack of any human interaction. Jesus. Yeah. That, that breaks my heart because... It's not just a senior issue, what you're saying. I mean, obviously, it is, obviously, in, in, this, in that context. But if for all the other people who are isolated because of disability, because of yeah. illness, because of different illness, to know that we could die, not because of the virus per se, but because of how our Neg- mental health is, yeah, and neglect, and neglect. a broken heart. Yeah, that's broken really, heart. That's really scary, but it's an important... Yeah thing I think for us to remember. So for anybody listening who doesn't think they'll get the virus, that's okay. But you may also you may also have other residual things to do with. So think about that when you when you think about what disabled people and, and seniors are going through because I think that's an important thing to highlight. Um, yeah. um just one other thing I wanted to add, Andrew. Yes. Alf Alf was not disabled when I met him. Right. Alf was still walking and then gradually he went to using a walker. And then because he could no longer walk and the walker wasn't enough, they got him an electric wheelchair. So going into a long-term care home, even if you are mobile, gradually you descend into using a mobility device well especially considering as you say they weren't having they weren't having ot pt right they weren't doing anything to keep him mobile i'm sure if he had been offered swimming or aquatics or like the kind of things they could do over there (coughs) he might have not been in the he might have not needed the wheelchair as, as as quickly So what they do is they encourage people to start depending on mobility devices as we get older. And look, I love my mobility device and I think for me it's a source of freedom. But if if someone is telling you 
that you need to go in a mobile device because it's easier for them and that's a problem yeah it's a huge well well i can use myself as an example when i came out of the coma and i ended up at bridgepoint i was told i would never walk again Mm -hmm. so they trained me how to use a wheelchair and i said but if there's a possibility that I can walk on my own, even with a cane, that is what I want to do. Yep. But if I hadn't fought for that, I, have, I would be in a wheelchair now. Because they don't encourage you to regain your mobility when you're a certain age and you go into a long-term care home. That's a big problem. Again, I preface that by saying if you want the mobility device, by all means, go ahead and use it. But if you want to stay up walking and to stay up doing what mm-hmm. feels best for you, then you should have the right to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What? There's a lot to unpack there, uh, <laughs> which is much too much for this podcast. But I want to um, shift just a little bit and ask you, what piece of advice would you give to other differently abled or disabled people right now going through this what would you if you could stand up on a soapbox and be like hi my name is leslie i'm awesome here's what i want to tell you about covid and disability what would what would you say um well i always believe in hope yeah i try to be optimistic and i keep hearing people saying well when we get back to normal well, there is no getting back to normal. This is going to be a new way of living. Yeah. So what I would say is to try and figure out how your support circle can work with you to get you through this because your emotional well-being, your mental health, you know, both are impacted. Um, the loneliness, the isolation, to figure out ways of dealing with those um, so you don't get depressed, so you don't get anxious. Because I have gone through that. I've gone through the anxiety and the depression. And will I be able to go out again? Will I be able to have, you know, friends come over? So to try and figure out ways of new ways of living in the world. Yeah. And I remember you and I talked on the first episode and we've talked just off the air as friends about like your access to sexuality was already so limited given, you you know, your experiences. (laughs) So I'm what I want when I'm curious, like I think about how I haven't had sex in seven or eight months and may not for a few more months given this thing. Do you feel even more loss that you can't access that or is it something now that you're like oh whatever whatever it happens it happens well you were the first person i actually said to out loud and now i'm saying it out loud more and more i have not had a sexual partner apart from these lovely hands (laughs) 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 i i have not had a sexual partner since 1998 And then uh, when I came out of the coma and started using a cane, my whole world changed. 
and women out there started, well, I guess they don't see me as being a sexual being anymore. And I used to go to the lavender dance parties, queer women's dance parties. And of course, those have stopped. So there's nowhere now for me to go out and be with other women and to go out dancing and to yeah. socialize. But I guess more in terms of like COVID, I was asking because, you know, there have been all these guidelines. If, let's say, COVID ended tomorrow, mm-hmm. do, do you think that you would want to explore sex now that it, like, I guess what I'm asking is, I'm not even sure what I'm asking, but I, but somewhere along the lines, I'm trying to ask about <laughs> sex, about like about well, about like, do you feel even more upset that? Yes, it's been 21 years since you've had a sexual partner, or 22, but now there's all these extra restrictions that even if yeah. you were, even if you were to engage with a person, you'd have to think about not only could they have STIs, now it's like could yeah. they have COVID? Yeah. Yeah, that that thought has occurred to me. <laughs> so it's like um, these two lovely hands are going to be extra, <laughs> gonna be extra busy. <laughs> yeah, I re- I sort of um, have resigned myself to the fact that it's not going to happen. Um, and uh, you know, as you just said, that first there were STIs and now there's COVID. Like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, okay. I. I am still hoping that in the next, you know, I, I'm, I have people that I work with and I'm in, I'm in contact with them a lot and we're trying to find ways to still be sexy with each other but not be at risk. It's really hard. And yeah. it, it makes me scared for my, as a young disabled person or a younger disabled person rather, I'm getting, I'm getting up there though. I'm, I'm, I'm catching up to you. As I, <laughs> as I get up there, you know, I worry about, I fought so hard for my sexual access. Mm-hmm. And now in the span of seven months, it's been stripped away from me again. What if it doesn't return? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really been hard for me to process. Um, and on the flip side of that last question, what piece of advice would you give to a non-disabled person, somebody who's totally able-bodied, who may be going through this for the first time, you are the expert because you understand loneliness, isolation, um, social distancing better than anybody else does, given your differently abledness. What would you say to a totally able-bodied person who may be struggling for the first time with, with all this? Mm, um, I would say... Uh, Aside it, from don't come at me at the grocery store or I'll beat you with my cane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, recognize your privilege <laughs> that's the first thing recognize your privilege I mean there, there are more supports becoming available now yeah. whereas before they were not my, my concern to tell you the truth Andrew I'm not so much concerned about able-bodied people yeah I, I, I mean it's <laughs> might, mightn't be <laughs> I love how like so nonchalantly you see like, I don't really they don't concern me so much. No, they don't. I am more concerned, for example, <laughs> my my friends that I've been inviting over have been my younger queer friends of color. 
Yeah. Who are struggling with anxiety and depression and no jobs and having a hard time with housing. I mean, they're all able-bodied, but to me, their struggle, I can understand their struggle. Yeah. And the, when I invite them over here, every single one of them has said the same thing. It's so nice to be able to go to a place and to be able to sit outside on the porch and to have a conversation and not be judged and just yeah, to be I, able to, to relax. And just to be, well, first of all, I don't think what you, I don't, I don't think you know, Leslie, but you, whenever people hang out with you, from the minute I met you, I was like, she's cool. I like her. I could just be myself. <laughs> with her. Like, you, you have this way of making people feel really safe around you. So I'm glad that, that even in this weird COVID time, you've been able to offer some, like, I love how giving you are and how much you, even though you're going through all the stuff too, you're still like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to make my porch a place where all of us can, not all of us, but all of us in separate pods can mm -hmm. come together and be together. That's, that's, I think that's really telling of the kind of person you are. So I, I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you. But I mean, I'm doing it from also from a selfish point of view. <laughs> but it, it benefits both both sides. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but I'm going to bring the lime to you. We should do that. I'll put on a mask and I'll wash my hands and you'll put on a mask and you wash your hands and we'll, we'll have some lime in my house one time soon. Yeah, soon, and I'm bringing you Timbits. <laughs> no, hey, no, I actually, here, I'll tell you I know. I made a pact with myself. My poor tummy has been <laughs> going through too much stuff. I made a pact, then I'm off all the cookies, all the cake, all the oh, things, okay. all the things that I used to love. I made a pact with myself this, probably about two weeks ago, to be like, no, I'm not going to do it, because it was just hurting me too much. And we talked mm -hmm. about, like, right off the bat, at the beginning of this, this conversation, you mentioned constipation i deal with the yeah. other the other yeah. side of things where if i have too much of something i will poo myself so okay my goal for myself this year is to cut all that out try to focus on like fruits try to focus on so if you want to bring me like some nice bananas that'd be cool okay i can do that them like grapes or like a watermelon or something that kind of stuff because that's to me i'm trying to see that as a treat versus yeah. like i want to have the sugar because the sugar what i find is it just hurts me and I want to yeah. feel like, like, you know how uncomfortable constipation is. Imagine, yeah. imagine that plus also diarrhea. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm teaching myself that no, the cookie might taste good, but it's going to do poison to your body. <laughs> and we don't want you back in the hospital. No, I've already been yeah. there three times this summer. No more. Thank you very much. You know, oh, I wanted to tell you about my encounter with the hospital. Yes, please. So I went to the hospital because I had to go for an ultrasound. I get an ultrasound twice a year for my liver. And I get there. And of course, there's a lot of screening happening, which is great. Yeah. So the first person greeted me at the door. Hello, Sue. I said, I am not Sue. Hello, ma'am. I said, well, what are you? I said, I'm a human being. What are you? Hold on. <laughs> what are you? And then it happened two more times because you have to go through these three different stations. Yeah. 
So it's like, you know, the mis and now you're wearing a mask, right? So they can't even see, but they just assume based on short hair and how I'm dressed that I'm a man. But first of all, that's like, I'm, you're, they're misgendering you in all the ways, yeah. in, every, in every kind of way that's possible. Also, they're just not respecting you to be like, hello, why can't they just say hi, person? Well, this is what, this is what I said to them. So I, I got in touch with uh, the patient manager at the yeah. hospital and said, you cannot have people doing this. All they have to say is, hi, can I help you? Yeah, hi, hi full stop, can today? I help you? Yeah, you don't need to be using, you know, sir and ma'am. Like, stop. No, it's not. It's disrespectful. Also, ma'am, for many people who are female identified, is no one. They don't love it anymore. They want to just yeah. be called by, by their name. So, like, yeah. I think "hi" period full stop is is mm-hmm. is respectful enough. Yeah. Um, I am sorry that happened to you. Well, it happens all the time. It's more so now. Yeah. That's, that's even worse. Um, those are all the questions I had for you. Uh, this was, I had a really fun time sitting down with you again. It's always fun to sit down with you. Same here. Um, to how can people, aside from the website that's being worked on, how can people follow you? How can they get a hold of you? How can they realize that you're an awesome person that they should follow how do they do that uh they can find me on facebook so my friend uh steph has been posting uh some of the video clips that we've made and uh leslie with a z l-e-z-l-i-e maria lee cam and one thing i want to say about facebook <laughs> Every time I do a presentation or a workshop or I speak, somebody wants to be friends with me on Facebook. I am not accepting friends unless I know who you are. So I'm just putting that out there. I'm not being a snob. (laughs) Safety first, friends. Safety first. So people can see what I'm up to. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, Andrew, you can... Give people my email and my phone number. I'm available to do presentations on uh, queer seniors online. We can do them all over the world now because yes. COVID made that possible. So For a very reasonable fee. No, no, pay her the full fee. Pay her what she's worth. Yes, not Leslie, doing it. Leslie you. and the when Leslie says a reasonable, here's what here. Let me just say this, everybody listening. When Leslie says, I'm available for a reasonable fee, I have to take her hand and be like, no, no, no. You should charge at least double that. Charge more. <laughs> You're worth more than that. So if you want to book Leslie for a talk on all this stuff, pay her lots. Come to me and I'll tell you what her rate is before you book. <laughs> yeah, so Andrew is one of my co-managers. Yeah, so if you want to book Leslie through me or you want to have her talk about being a queer senior with who is differently abled, which you all should, because this is a population of people that never gets heard from. And Leslie is a, is a shining light in that community. And you should, you should book her because her stories, as you've heard over the last hour are important. And I think that she is someone who, whose lived experience is really valuable, especially in this, weird COVID time. 
Thank you, Andrew, for that plug. And I also want to say for those of you younger queer people who are listening, one day too, if you are lucky, you will also be a queer senior. And if you are looking, are people going to see this like live? You mean see me? No, no. Oh, so it's all um, audio? It's all voice, yeah. It's all voice. So I was going to say, I'm a lot older than I look. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so uh, queer youth, if you're lucky, you will become queer seniors. So it's really important for me to work from an intergenerational and intersectional perspective. And we all need to work like that and live our lives like that because we must support each other. And in the, in the fact that, you know, I'm differently abled and being disabled, some of my friends are disabled. All it takes is a misstep and you could become differently abled or disabled. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. And as you get older, you might become differently abled. You might, things might, you might. So change. Yeah. So and that's okay, but this was, I love this conversation. Thank you for alluding the importance of discussing queer seniors and queer differently abled seniors during COVID because, it, and I have wanted to do this with you for such a long time because you are such a valuable member of the community and you, and I just wanted to make sure to include queer, queer differently abled seniors in, this, in these COVID-y discussions that I do. So it was so great to sit down with you and thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew, again, and thank you for all of your activism and the hard work that you do. And I have to say, Andrew, I have such great respect and admiration for you because even when you were in the hospital, you were still doing your activism. So <laughs> true, thank, it was. Thank you. And, and you know, you, to, you say that you like talking to me and the work that I do, but even though you go through some really difficult times, you I have always found that you are like a light at the end of the tunnel. And oh, from, my heart. From the time that I met you, the, so it's been almost six years now. Has it? Yeah, since I moved to Toronto, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. We met and I have seen your struggles, especially your housing struggles and your health struggles, not even what you personally are going through, but how the system that you're living within yeah. has treated you. And I want people to know it's, it's not that simple being disabled because Andrew, you, what we take for granted, you have to deal with on a, a daily basis yeah, and, and you have to struggle and advocate for yourself just to survive. So kudos to you for putting this out into the world. And and I am honored, honored to have you to be my friend. Oh. And I'm coming to Lyme soon. We have to yes. set up dates. We're going to have some fruits. You know what I like? Yes. Ma- mango is my favorite fruit in the whole world. So if you... Oh. Okay. If, if you run across a mango, I'm there. <laughs> I know just the particular mango, and I will cut <laughs> it up for you 
with watermelon. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Leslie Lee Cam, thank you so much for coming on Quarantine and Chill. And I will talk to you after I press off on the recording. But this was great. And thanks for talking to us. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. There's another episode of Quarantine and Chill. I love sitting down with Leslie and I liked particularly when she talked about her experiences already having had been comatose in her life and her fears of possibly should she contract COVID needing to be comatose again and or needing to be put in a coma again to save her life and kind of the fear and the reality of once you're in a coma once you come out of the coma you're still not okay and so to think about how important social distancing is and how important adhering to the rules are right now to protect our queer, differently abled seniors like Leslie, that really brought it home for me. And also, when she illuminated the fact that we don't know the number of queer, disabled seniors that have died in long-term care homes as a result of neglect and, um, and broken heart syndrome and all those things. The fact that we don't know the number of queer seniors that have perished because of this, and we'll never know because people don't track that, is terrifying. But it's an important thing to shine a light on. And it's an important part of the story that isn't being told. So thank you, Leslie. Just before we end this episode of Quarantine and Chill, if you want to be a part of a Quarantine and Chill, you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com using the subject line Quarantine and Chill. Tell me a little bit or a lot about your disability. Let me know what your experience of quarantine has been as a disabled person and what you'd like to share on the show, and we'll book you in. I'd love to have more guests for this type of episode, so please consider reaching out to me. You can also DM me or hit me up on the Instagram at it's Andrew Gerza on Instagram. You can follow me there and DM me and just say I want to be a part of the show. Um, I'd love to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coordinating and Chill and we'll be back again soon with a regular Thursday episode and more content for you coming soon. Thanks friends. Bye. Alright friends, this has been another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm of course your host, Andrew Gerza, your number one queer cripple, and your disabled Dick Smith. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on all social media at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. We'd love to have you as a guest so you can shine a bright light on your disability story. If you want to support the show and get the show one day early along with ad-free versions of the show and a cool shout-out, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast Shining a Bright Light on Disability Story. We'll see you next time. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists.
Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020